it's almost here. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been waiting for Christmas for a long time this year. It's because we started Christmas shopping in July. We did. We started Christmas shopping in July because we were going to be ahead of the game this time. We were going to make sure that we had it all done early. Somebody asked me when I finished. You know what? That's a great question. Thanks for asking. This afternoon. But actually, it was closer. It was more like this morning. It was more like this. So, I mean, it's, but we were mostly done. But you know how it is when you get mostly done and then you get so confident in being mostly done that you stay mostly done for a really long time. So I feel like we've been ready for Christmas for a long time. And for some of us, if we're honest, it's really all we're ready for. We're just ready for Christmas. We want Christmas to get here. We love Christmas. Trees are awesome. Santa's great. I'm not sure about the elf on the shelf, but whatever. But we're ready. But as Christians, those of you that are here tonight that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, as Christians, we understand that Christmas is about something different than that. And our waiting is about something more significant. You see, Christmas is awesome. Christmas, you, you wake up in the morning. I don't know how you guys do it at your house, but we wake up in the morning and we get a cup of coffee and we sit around and we purposely glow as slow as we can to torture the kids, okay? Um, and, and it's right when we're ready to open the first president that we say, wait, uh, it's time for us to do the Christmas story. And then we share that, you know, we, we talk about the Christmas story and then we drink our coffee and then we say, okay, Christmas story's done, it's time. And then we get up and go get more coffee and then we come back. But, but it's this thing, right? It's fun and, and it builds and you get presents and you open presents and some presents, I, I actually, I get to open a couple of presents right now. Some presents um, are really awesome. This one is to dad from Travis and Aubrey. We're going to see. I know you guys didn't think you were going to get to watch me open presents, but it's good. Nice. Anybody remember Sega from when you were a kid? Okay, you come over to my house later, we'll play apparently 80 built-in games. Uh, I hope Golden Axe is one of them. That was my favorite. Score. Also, Golden Axe 2 and 3, so good times. So we open presents, and sometimes they hold up. Good job, guys. Sometimes they hold up. This one's from Carrie, so I'm sure it's very good. Sometimes they don't hold up. At least it's not underwear. That's true. Sometimes they hold up. Sometimes they don't hold up. But guys, here's the deal. Did you keep the receipt? No, come on. Either way, though, it's over quick. It all builds. All the excitement, all the anticipation, all of the, the shopping since July and the wrapping the presents, the hours spent getting ready, and you do it all, and then, it, and then it's over Fast. And, and, and the gifts that hold up, maybe I use them, maybe, maybe they're part of my, my everyday life for a little while, maybe they're things that I enjoy, but eventually they break or they, they go out of style or, or something and, and they lose the luster. It happens every year. 
okay? But that's why Christmas, see, for those of us that are Christians, that's why Christmas is so much more significant than just Christmas morning and presents and these things. It means something, it means something else. Look at this. Because something big is coming. This is just the thing I need you to know about. Something big is coming. Something fantastic is coming. And it's not temporary. It's permanent. And it's so different than our normal celebration. See, as exciting for some of us as Christmas will be, it's short-lived, it's temporary. But there's something coming that transcends this. And we read about it in Scripture. And it's this great and glorious day when all of these wonderful things come to fruition. And this Advent, we've been working through the book of Revelations. And we're going to continue with that here. Look here. uh, Just three verses in Revelation 19. Here's what it says. I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean, waves or the crash of loud thunder. And this is that mighty roar. This is what it says. It says, praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. See, there is something coming that puts our normal celebrations to shame. No matter how good they are, it puts them to shame. And it's this moment in the future where this will happen, and we hear this grand celebration that says, praise the Lord, For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. This is a significant moment in history. And there's one thing I want you to know about this text before we we move on to the next thing on the screen. The thing that you can drill down on, that's right, I said it. The thing that you can drill down on right here is just knowing this. You're curious how it ends? People ask me all the time, how does it end? How's it going to end? What's it going to be like? How are things going to wrap up? How will it finish? How will we know? Like, what, what will it be? Here's what it'll be. The Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. This is how this ends. The entirety of Scripture tells the story about the God of the universe, His love for us, and the way that He pursues us. Christmas morning is a stop along that way. Christmas morning is a climax along that way. It's, it's where God steps into human history. It's where everything that's been talked about and preached about and, and sung about and everything that's been pushed and everything that's been put in front of people comes to this moment on Christmas morning when God steps into the world. But that's just, it's a big deal, but it's just a stop along the way. All of it leads to this moment here. All of it leads to this moment in Revelation 19 where the angels are saying, again, what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd, a roar of a mighty ocean, waves, and the crash of a loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord, our God, the Almighty, reigns. You want to know how it ends? That's how it ends, with God reigning supreme. And here's what they say. Say, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. See what this is in in, in the future, this moment here, this is this grand celebration. This is called the wedding feast of the lamb. This is the marriage supper. That's what's happening here in the future. It's the marriage supper. This is the moment where the bride of Christ sits down at the table to enjoy the wedding dinner. And here's what it says. It says, be glad and rejoice, give honor. Why? Because the time has come. 
know if you know this or not, but in ancient Israel, the way these weddings worked was different than the way they work for us. There were no save-the-date cards. Okay? Here, you're going to get married. This is what we do. Uh, We usually have two speeds, really fast or really slow. Okay, we're going to get married, um, and it's going to be next Thursday, and you're all invited. Or we're going to get married, and it's going to be six years from now, so save the date. But it didn't work that way. There were no save-the-date cards. But here's what would happen. Uh, there, there would be a wedding proposal, and the proposal would be accepted. And then once the proposal was accepted, the bridegroom, the young man, would go away. And he would go away, and he would start work on a house. He would start work on a room. He would start building. Usually connected to or around his father's house, his parents' house. Um, usually in that area, he would go, and he would start working. He would start building. And when that room was ready, when that home was ready, and only then would the wedding happen. And the only person that could say that the room and the home was ready was the father. It's the only person that can decide that it was good enough, that it was time, and that it was ready was the father. The father is the one that would look at the the home and the room that was built, and he would say, yes, now you're ready. And the moment that it was ready... The moment that it was ready, then this grand thing that we've been waiting for would happen. And so, so the bridegroom would grab his friends and they would go and in a loud procession they would go and they would get the, the bride-to-be and they would announce it's time. Tonight is the time for the wedding feast. This is where it's going to happen. See, she couldn't get ready. She couldn't have a spa day. She couldn't spend the whole time getting her hair done up and whatever else very necessary things you ladies do. It didn't happen. So this is what they're saying. This is saying, let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him for the time has come. Today is the day. This is the moment where we are having the wedding supper of the lamb, the wedding feast of the lamb, because the bride has prepared herself and we're ready. And we continue here in in, in eight, and this is what it says. It says, she's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. You ever been to a wedding? Okay, yes. Okay, let me finish my thought. You ever been to a wedding where the bride wore white and you were thinking to yourself, you'd never say it out loud, but you might nudge your wife and say it to her who sits next to you. I can't believe she had the audacity to wear white. You ever had one of those where, where you go to the wedding and, and, and the white dress, which represents purity, and you're thinking to yourself, hmm, I'm not sure that bride really should be wearing white. That's the way it will be for me. Here's the deal. I will be at this supper because as a Christian... I am part of the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. I will be there, and here's the deal. I will be wearing white, and I have no right to be wearing white. I am sullied. I am stained. I'm gross. I've sinned. I've forsaken my first love. I've ran after other idols. I've worshipped other gods. I have done all kinds of things that I'm not proud of. 
I have no business wearing white at the wedding supper of the Lamb. But I'll be there, and I'll be dressed in pure, white, fine linen. Why? Not because I earned it, and not because I deserve it, but because of the bridegroom. See, Christ's righteousness is given to me. See what it says there? It says, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. But the problem with that is that I don't have any good deeds. I don't have good deeds. But you know what I have as a Christian? I have Christ's righteousness given to me. And because I have Christ's righteousness given to me, and I count myself a Christian, and I'm forgiven, I will be invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, and I will be dressed in pure white linen. And this is how God wraps it up. Here's what he says. He says, and the angel said to me, write this down, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. These are the true words that come from God. Blessed are those that are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Church, let me just ask you this one thing as I ask the elders to come up and prepare for communion. Are you invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb? See, and I know some of you are thinking, Matt, this is not very Christmassy. So you're doing it wrong. I'm not doing it wrong. I'm okay. Trust me. See, because none of this happens without the incarnation. None of this happens without Christmas. See, without Christmas, there is no relationship with Jesus. Without a relationship with Jesus, there is no salvation. There is no wedding supper of the Lamb. There is no righteousness imparted to me. All of this happens because of the incarnation. Incarnation, by the way, just a fancy word, God in flesh, God stepping into human history. See, and we're going to celebrate communion for, in a minute, and let me tell you this, we practice open communion here at Blessed Hope, which means you do not need to be a member of the church to take communion with us. We do ask that you be a member of a church, the member of a church family, the member of God's church, because this is a family meal. So we ask that you be a Christian. That's not a complicated process, but this is the invitation. See, that's communion itself presents this beautiful picture of marriage because it's all about this grand marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and, and we talked about this a little bit before, but, but this is how it works. This is how proposals happened. The imagery that, that Christ uses in the upper room shouldn't be lost on us. When, when someone wanted to get married... Okay, when a young man saw the young woman that he thought he wanted to marry, he would look at her and he would say, I got to have her. And the first person he would go to was his dad. And he would say to his dad, Dad, that's the girl I want to marry. And so this family would go to that family. And the first thing they would do is they would pour the cup. And they would pour the cup, and the son would take the cup, and he would offer it to his hopefully soon-to-be um, bride, and he would offer her the cup, and she would take it, and if she drank it, okay, then she was accepting the proposal. 
There was no confusion. Everybody knew what this was. You couldn't sneak propose to somebody by offering them a drink, okay? But he'd offer the cup. If she took it, if she drank it, then they were engaged. But it wasn't time to set a wedding date. It wasn't time for any of that because something else had to be negotiated first. And what had to be negotiated first was the bride price. Then, once that was done, the dads would talk. And we would talk about the bride price. And see, in every other culture in the ancient world, in every other culture, what you had to pay was a dowry. If I was going to take your daughter off of your hands, you were going to have to give me something in return because I was going to have to provide for her. I was going to have to make a home for her. I was going to have to feed her and clothe her. And you were going to have to give to me to make that happen. But not in Israel. In Israel, there's something called the bride price. Because this is so precious that what happens is is a father says on behalf of his son, we want your daughter in our family. And we're willing to pay to make it happen. We're willing to give up something of significance to make it happen. And once the bride price was agreed upon, they broke bread and they ate together. And then the son would go home and he would get to work on his room, get to work on his home, and it was ready they would come back. And guys, you have to understand here that this is the exact picture of what happens in the upper room. This is the exact picture of what happens in the upper room. Jesus tells them, (laughs) he tells them about the bride price that's going to be paid He says, this bread, this is my body. It's broken for you. It's about to be broken on your behalf. It's about to be ruined for you. It's the bride price he was willing to pay to have you in his family. And he says, take it and eat. And then he pours the cup. He says, this is the new covenant. Take it and drink. Accept the proposal. See, communion, the reason we say we practice open communion, we don't don't care if you're a member of our church, but we say we need you to be a Christian because that's exactly what this is. This is this intimate exchange between Jesus and his followers that says, now, officially, we are, we're united. And what does he say in the end? He he says, again, and and he says, I won't won't have this again until you're with me. And Jesus goes, and, and we know, what does he say? He says, nobody knows when I'm coming back. Except who? The Father. The Father knows. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to get it already. There's lots of rooms, and I'm going to get one just for you. And I'm coming back, and I don't know when I'm coming back. You don't know when I'm coming back. The only one that knows for sure is the Father in heaven. Because it's when he says, yes, now it's time that all of this comes to fruition. But church, listen to me. When that happens... There will be no warning. When that happens, and the Father says, now it's time, then Jesus will, he will gather the wedding party, and he will come and get his bride. That's what we celebrate with communion. The offer that God makes to us. My body that will be broken as payment for sin, the bride price, the blood that's poured out, the sign of the new covenant, the new relationship. So as we come and celebrate communion tonight, I want to encourage you, okay? Reflect on what we're really celebrating, okay? And if you are here tonight and you don't know Jesus, 
There is no time like now. There is no time like now. And there is no God like our God. And there is no gift better than Jesus. Would you pray with me? And if tonight you're here and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I need that gift. There's no time like now. Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you this, this, not this morning, we come before you this evening and we thank you. We recognize um, that everything we have is because of you. We recognize that you alone are the God of the universe that pours out grace upon grace on us. We thank you for the fact that you have invited us in to a relationship with you through the cross, that you've paid the bride price, and that you've poured the drink, and that, Father, there is a new covenant between God and men, that no longer are we judged by our failures. No longer are we judged by the good or the bad things that we do, but instead, Father, we are judged by the righteousness of Christ when we accept your proposal. Father, if there's anybody here that, that is ready to do that tonight, I pray that just in, their, in the quietness of their heart that they will just respond to the prompting of your Holy Spirit, that they will submit to you, that they will admit their sinfulness, they will admit their brokenness and their need for a Savior, and they will surrender to you. Father, we ask that you be with us as we share this communion meal tonight, that you bless it and that you bless us. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Church, thank you for being here with us tonight. I can tell you this, and, and for some of you, you'll know it and you'll feel it, hopefully from, from the bottom of my heart to yours. For some of you, it'll sound trite because we don't know each other that well, but please believe me, I love you and I want you to have a Merry Christmas. I am thrilled that you joined us. Would you just pray with me, and then we'll go, and uh, I'll just encourage you to have a blessed time tomorrow. If you can make it back here, we will look forward to seeing you, but whatever you do, remember, everything is because of the incarnation. God steps into human history, and everything happens because of that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you um, for the baby that was born in a manger. We thank you for the light of the world. And we thank you for the king that's coming and the marriage supper that's going to happen. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen. Merry Christmas.